0: Man, Well, uh, good evening, Delray family and uh, those of us that are here visiting. Uh, I'm encouraged and uh, thankful to have the opportunity to preach to you from such an encouraging passage of Scripture. And our verse tonight that we're going to be focusing on is Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. It's going to be Hebrews chapter 3 in verse 13. So as you're turning there, I want to point out that we'll actually begin our reading tonight in verse 7. So hear now God's word preserved for us to hear this very night. Beginning in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And verse 13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. i read verse 13 again. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. All right, so I want to pause real quick to point out a key word in this verse, and it's the word exhort. So exhort can actually be translated a number of ways. It can be translated as appeal, or urge, or plead, or even comfort, or encourage, just to name a few. And what's so beautiful about this word is that it comes closest in the entire Bible to translating what we today would call counseling. Because counsel, depending on the situation, encompasses every single one of these words. So another way to read this verse would be to say But counsel one another every day As long as it is called today That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and, and one way to actually better feel the weight of a truth like this Is to take it and to restate it in the negative So here it is again but this time said in the negative Don't worry about exhorting or counseling one another every day Because sin's not really that deceitful and and it really can't harden your heart all that much. Well, not your heart anyways and and certainly not my heart. Now, I'm feeling pretty good that if we stack those two statements right next to each other on a test and said, okay, mark which one is true and mark which one is false, I'm feeling pretty good that we'd all ace that test and get our gold star for the week, which is a good feeling, uh, give or take a few who maybe spilled their coffee on the test and just couldn't read the question at all. So I want to leave room for that to happen but what's so interesting and what's so humbling about that is if I were to ask a different yet very related question our responses I think would be a lot more mixed and the question that I would ask is this do you and do I have brothers or sisters who can speak into the deepest most vulnerable parts of our lives and whose lives we can in turn speak into as well Because you see, the answer to that question actually gives us a lot more honest snapshot of what's happening below the surface in our hearts. Below the surface where sin can take such a straightforward, simple truth and subtly yet persistently deceive our hearts into believing that sin isn't really that deceptive or believing that my heart can't really grow that hard or I don't really need that level of daily counsel or I really don't need that level of relationship with brothers or sisters in my life. Or for some of us, we may actually really long for this, and we've pleaded for this to be true in our lives, but it's just not a current reality in our lives. And so sin can actually begin to deceive us there into giving up, into saying, man, listen, I've been trying, and it's just not happening. It's just not worth it, right? People don't get it. They just don't care. Or for some of us, we actually might say, hey, no, Danny, I feel like the daily counsel in my life with brothers or sisters is strong. Right? And so what deception might look like there, at least sin's subtle deception, might be just kind of giving ourselves a little pat on the back, real tiny one, saying at a boy or at a girl. And yet part of that deception is to never pause and thank God that He has so mercifully allowed us to have such a crucial weapon for battling the deceitfulness of sin in our lives, in this season of our life. And so one of my hopes and one of my prayers tonight is that we can walk through Hebrews three thirteen in three parts to better understand how we can experience the life-giving joy of this truth. So here are the three parts that I'd love to walk through with you tonight. The first part is the enemy, which is sin. The second part is the weapon, which is daily counsel. And the third part is the goal or our motivation, which is the glory of Christ in His return, the beauty of Christ in His return. And so to really summarize all this in one big idea, we can say it this way. Sin hates you, and it wants you dead. But Christ loves you, and he wants you alive. So take up the weapon of daily counsel and go to war with sin until he returns and ends the war permanently. Let me say that again. Sin hates you and wants you dead. Christ loves you and wants you alive. So take up the weapon of daily counsel and go to war with sin until he returns and ends the war permanently. So first, let's look at the end of our verse, which says that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So let's try to better understand and even more so feel the weight of our enemy, which is sin. So the verses leading up to our verse are actually quoted from Psalm 95, which has Meribah and Massa in the background. And I encourage you to read through the Meribah and Massa account in Exodus 17 if you're not already familiar with it. But for those who are familiar with it, do you remember what the sin was there? The the sin of Meribah and Massa? I mean, would you call the sin of Meribah and Massa, quote-unquote, major sin? I mean, think about it. Of all the sins from the Old Testament that the author of Hebrews could have chosen to focus on when trying to point out to us the power of sin's deception, this is the one they chose. And the sin of Meribah and Massah, it was grumbling. It was, it was complaining. I mean, it seems like such a small thing, doesn't it? I mean, such a tiny sin can't really be that serious, right? Well, that's exactly what sin wanted the Israelites to believe. It, what it wanted to deceive them to believe. And that small act of deception, it began to harden and then over time, they continue to be hardened and deceived to the point of becoming numb. It can happen so easily, can it? I, I mean, think about just an example I've heard before that, that I think might be helpful, okay? So uh, picture yourself uh, walking into a grocery store. It's, it's been a long day. You're pretty tired. You're pretty drained. You're hoping it'll be a quick trip to the store. Uh, but as soon as you walk in, you look up and you see somebody you know off in the distance. Now, it's not that you necessarily dislike this person or don't want to talk to him. You just don't feel like, for whatever reason, you have the energy to engage them tonight. But, of course, after grabbing what you need, you turn the corner of the aisle to go and check out. And who do you find yourself smack dab in front of? Well, it's them, right? Now, before this, we had really kind of just pretended in our own minds we didn't actually see them, and therefore we don't have to engage them. But what happens in that moment? Sometimes, if you're me, you might go, oh, oh, hey, man, I didn't even see you there. How about it? Man, what are the chances we're at the store at the same time? Right? I, I mean, that seems small, right? But, but what actually happened there? Sin actually began to deceive. It, it began to deceive me into thinking of false reality. Right below the surface of our hearts, we actually deceive ourselves into thinking that we never saw them in the first place. Or even if we don't actually say, hey, I didn't see you, our body language reacts as though it's the first time we saw him, right? We act with surprise, like, whoa, man, well, look at that. I not know you were going for the and dodge, just like I did. Good for you. So it's similar, though, to how we can even respond to an email or a text message or a phone call that we've been meaning to return for a while now. Right? How can we sometimes begin to respond when we finally get around to it? Oh, you know, man, hey, man, I'm sorry I'm just now seeing this. I mean, that seems small, right? But has sin already begun to deceive in those moments? Yes. And over time, if that's left unchecked, it becomes deadly. It begins to harden. Because you see, sin wants to deceive you subtly but steadily over time because it wants you dead it doesn't want us entering the promised land just like it didn't want the Israelites to enter the promised land and so it starts small and subtly now let me be clear I fully believe that once saved always saved as we see in John ten twenty nine and other passages of scripture but here's the deal sin doesn't care about that right I mean if you're God's child sin doesn't care that your salvation is assured it hates you and it wants to harden your heart in hopes that maybe it can try to steal even just a little bit of God's glory in the process. And so you think of a celebrity athlete, right, that has just left their hometown to join another team. What will a lot of people do with that athlete's jersey, right? I mean, they will set that thing on fire, right? They'll burn it, right? And so uh, outside of being a little loopy, right, why is it that they do that? Well, they do that because the jersey has the athlete's name on the back. It bears their likeness on it. So think about this now. We not only bear God's image as human beings, generally speaking, we actually, for those of us who are in Christ, now bear the image of His Son. And sin really hates His Son. And you're wearing His jersey. So sin wants to harden and numb your heart through pride or or through being cynical or through becoming bitter or, or harden your heart to stop trusting and to stop hoping in the promises of Christ. And so also if you think of some of the pictures that uh, scripture paints for us of sin One of the images it gives is that sin is crouching at your door We see that in Genesis 4 Now why would someone or something ever crouch at your door? What's it trying to do? Well it's trying to go undetected into your kitchen, into your living room, into your bedroom And it wants to get as deep inside your home as it can before the right time And then it pounces And think also of 1 Peter 5, where Satan is described as a roaring lion seeking to devour his prey. And and have you ever seen how a lion stalks its prey? It lurks, it prowls and stalks behind the tall grass before the right time, and then it pounces. That's how sin works. So remember also that deception is the very first thing that Satan ever did in human history, as we see in Genesis 3. He didn't come charging in and put a headlock on Adam and Eve, right? Throw them in a camorra and shove the fruit down their throat. That's not what he did. Instead, he came in subtly like a serpent, and he deceived them into eating the fruit. Sin is so terrifyingly deceptive, and it will deceptively harden your heart easily, yet slowly, over time. So what do we need to wage war against the deceitfulness of sin against our enemy? Well, we need other sets of eyes with different angles to see what's crouching at our door. And what of all things does God give us to battle such a powerful enemy? Well, he gives us a lot of things, but one of which is our second point, and that is the weapon of daily counsel. So look again with me at the beginning of our verse, but exhort or counsel one another every day. Now, let's pause real quick and and ask this question. Do you know who counsels us more than anyone else? We do. Right? You do. Right? We talk to ourselves more than anybody else. And so, which means that we counsel ourselves more than anybody else. We're always talking to ourselves about ourselves. And so, sin is amazing because, and it's so manipulative, it can take either suffering or success, either end of the spectrum, and use either one to turn us inward. It can take almost anything in life and cause our minds to think predominantly about one person, ourselves. And over time, the promises and person of Christ begin to fade to the background, and our hearts are deceived into believing all the things that sin, suffering, and success want to say about us. And this is why we need believers with a unique qualification to counsel us. And that unique qualification is that they are not us, right? We need counsel from an outside voice, from another set of eyes. Meaning that, believe it or not, some of our best weapons for warring against sin are sitting around us. So sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you is one of the best weapons that God has given us in Christ to wage war against the deceitfulness of sin. But but here's the deal. We must believe that daily counsel from others is powerful enough and necessary enough to combat the hardness of sin. Kind of like Naaman in 2 Kings 5, right, when he wanted to be rid of his leprosy. Elijah says, all right, Naaman, go. If you want to be cured of your leprosy, you need to take seven dips in the Jordan River. And if you remember, Naaman's initial response there is to look at the Jordan and say, man, that thing's nasty and stanky. There was rivers that were way nicer back home in Damascus. He didn't think that the Jordan was powerful enough to cure him of his leprosy. But think about it, right? What, What made the Jordan so powerful? But was there something in magical about the water? No, it was the power of Christ who chose for whatever reason to use the Jordan River to cure Naaman's leprosy. And in the same way, what makes daily exhorting one another so powerful is not the power of our words or our wisdom or our ninja-like questions. No, it's Jesus Christ who chooses for whatever reason to use us in each other's life to combat the deceitfulness of sin. And the book of Hebrews itself is actually an incredible picture of how to exhort and encourage and counsel one another daily. In fact, the author summarizes the book of Hebrews as a word of exhortation or a word of counsel. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22, to say that the book of Hebrews itself is a beautiful model of this. And Christ, if you notice, throughout the book of Hebrews is always at the center of counsel, just like he has to be for us. So, there isn't a day that goes by that we don't need to be reminded of and remind each other of the life giving truths of Scripture or the life giving promises of Scripture. Because there's not a day that goes by when sin won't tell us that these truths aren't true at all. These promises aren't promised at all. Sin is so powerful, it is so deceptive. We must believe that, but we must also believe that daily counsel or counseling Scripture to one another is more powerful. By God's grace. But before we can get into a few practical steps on how to counsel one another, we can't lose sight of our end game. Our end game isn't just that sin won't deceive us, our end game isn't just that sin won't harden our hearts. Our end game is that we will see Christ. That's the goal, that's the hope, that's the motivation, which brings us to our third and final point the goal, which is the glory of Christ in his return. Look again at the middle of our verse, so long as it is called today. Now this word today is significant here. You'll notice that in your Bibles it's either in quotes or it's in quotes and capitalized. Why is that? Well it's because the today in view here isn't just in the temporal sense of this very day. But it also means the season of today that is until Christ returns. Today marks the time between Christ's first coming when he came as a suffering servant and Christ's second coming when he comes as a conquering King so as long as it's today we must remind ourselves of the ultimate tomorrow it's not the ultimate tomorrow yet though until Christ returns then and only then will we immediately and perfectly become like him so until that final day we need one another to see both the lion who's prowling around in the tall grass and the lion of Judah who on that final day won't be hiding behind tall grass at all waiting to pounce on his prey. But he will come marching in victoriously in broad daylight to trample his enemies under his feet. We need one another to help us see not just the enemy crouching at the door, but also Christ who stands at the door in broad daylight and knocks. He's strong enough to carry us, even me, to the promised land. And daily counsel is one of the ways that he carries us. So let's look at a few points of application on how to get us started down that road. We're going to look at three points of application to grow, hopefully, by God's grace, in better receiving and giving godly counsel. So the first thing we need to do is recognize and know the obstacles. The obstacles, right? What are the obstacles in our life that can prevent godly counsel from happening? Well, one obstacle might be fear, right? And this could look a lot of ways. It could be fear of being vulnerable, Feel, fear of handing the, the fine china of our lives to someone and saying, here you go. Or fear of someone just trying to fix our problems and not really feeling heard or understood by them. Or fear of having to face realities in our life that we've been self-deceived into believing aren't actually true or aren't actually that serious. So fear can be one obstacle. Another obstacle can be Pride. Pride can look so many ways, but one way it could look is that if you tell me that you think I'm gossiping, when I know that gossiping is wrong, I know gossiping is a sin, so clearly I am not gossiping, and I'm frustrated that you would point that out to me. What's happening in that moment is sin is subtly deceiving the thinking just because you know it's sin, then clearly you're not committing that sin. So a third obstacle I want to toss out there might actually be from our culture and in our situation, our American culture where we believe that privacy is a right. That is a right that we have. Now, in other words, that there are certain parts of my life that you have no business knowing about and speaking into, right? I couldn't imagine giving someone the password to my online bank account and saying, hey, just go ahead and go in there whenever you want, just scan my purchases and giving, and let me know if you see any concerning patterns, right? I mean, that just kind of gives me the jibbies to even say that, all right? But where do those jibbies come from? I can't find them in scripture that somehow that's closed off from people's eyes. Those jibbies, I think, come from our American culture. And so we need to not only know the obstacles, but secondly, we also need to know how to create the opportunities for daily counsel. So we need to know how to better create these opportunities to happen. And so in other words, we must be willing to say and live life close enough together for others to see the sins that we tend not to see. Why? Well, because they hide and they're deceitful we must be willing to give each other the green light light to say listen I want you, I need you to speak into my life and so here are my weaknesses, here are my fears, here are my temptations so that you can know them and look for them and see how sin is already trying to deceive me into believing things that aren't true and harden my heart and one other thing that I would encourage us to grow in is needing less of an on-ramp for trust to be built with people I would say especially in our context where It can be tempting to say, well, I need years before I'm willing to trust somebody with these areas of my life. And I would encourage you to to really say, well, maybe that on-ramp can be more like months than years. And I would encourage you to look to Christ. If There's a fear of maybe somehow being betrayed or being misunderstood. Christ has walked in those shoes before. And so it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. And so I would encourage you to pray about shortening that on-ramp of trust to build with another person. And then the final thing we must know is where we fall on the spectrum of giving godly counsel, right? Some of us fall on the spectrum of fixers or feelers, of truth-tellers or people who are often moved to tears. And what's beautiful is that Christ himself actually embodies both of these in John chapter 11 when he responds to Mary and Martha about the death of their, son, or their brother. Where they say to him the exact same words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And to Martha, Jesus says, well, listen, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And so he gives Martha truth. And to Mary, he doesn't actually start with truth. Even though she says the exact same thing to him, he actually starts with tears because he knew that's what Mary needed. And so for all of us, we're growing in the spectrum of speaking the truth in love, and we need each other to help us with that and to grow in that. And we also need to grow in hearing or reading really good questions, writing that down and saying, hey, brother or sister, can we begin to ask these of each other and speak into these lives, into each other's lives? And so just I want to ask this and, and kind of close this, who are the two or three brothers or sisters, or even one or two brothers or sisters, that you can approach about committing to this, even just for six months, and then saying, let's revisit it. Let's see how it's going. How am I doing in giving godly counsel? How am I doing in making myself available to receive godly counsel? Now, if you're a follower of Christ who is being deceived into being maybe a little bit overwhelmed by any sort of guilt or shame for falling short in this area and you know it, or there are things that you know that you need to invite people into that you haven't, I want you to be encouraged. There is grace for that in Christ. Christ is powerful enough to help you repent and grow in the joy of walking in daily counsel with one another. And if you're not a believer and you're here, praise God for that. And I wanna speak honestly to you that you are still living under the ultimate deception. Sin has deceived you into believing many things and hardened your heart in many ways, but one of those ways is in thinking that tomorrow is guaranteed, that you have time, that you have time to consider the truths of the gospel. But I want to encourage you to say that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Sin has already begun to deceive you into that guarantee. And so long as it's today, you can trust in the sacrifice of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ that will lift, will lift the veil of deception, of sin's deception in your life and in your heart. And through that same sacrifice on the cross, Christ has paid for the forgiveness of our sins. And he didn't just stop there, but three days later, he rose from the dead to give new life and to breathe new life that you can have that smashes through the deception of sin and its power and then invite you to join us as the body of Christ to now begin to live out this daily counseling of one another so that we will not be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin, but instead we can all grow as we hope in Christ. So please pray with me as we close out. Jesus, we do thank you, Father, for the incredible mercy that you've given us here in your word, in your spirit, and in the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would all grow, even if it's just one step closer to daily counsel and relationships that can open up our hearts and lives to daily counsel in one another's lives. We love you, Father. And I pray that you would bless this food and encourage those of us who are now gonna go fellowship outside to enjoy one another and enjoy the creation and the hands that have prepared the food with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.